Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. On the evening of Resurrection Sunday, there were two pilgrims who were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and along the way they were joined by a stranger whom they did not recognize. And uh, the two pilgrims were talking about Jesus and his ministry and his crucifixion, and this stranger who came up to walk with them said he didn't know exactly what they were talking about. And uh, so they filled him in. But the question is, if they knew who Jesus was, and obviously they did, and the stranger who joined them was actually Jesus himself, and he was, why didn't they recognize him? Did Jesus hide his identity from them? And if he did, why did he do that? We're going to talk about all of these things during this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. So today we're going back to Luke, and um, we're going to look at the two who are on the road to Emmaus. So it's chapter 24 of Luke. Uh, before we jump into that, though, I kind of wanted to tie a ribbon around what we've done for the last five months, which is to look at the various accounts of what happened on resurrection morning at the tomb. And, um, you know, one of the things we talked about throughout that was that there was a lot of doubt around Jesus' resurrection, uh, that the women went there not expecting to find him alive, that, uh, you know, the disciples didn't believe he was alive, uh, that uh, Peter didn't believe he was alive. In the face of all the even when the women came back and said, we've seen angels and we've even seen Jesus, we get the impression that the the disciples that were still back in Jerusalem when they heard the story still didn't believe. So there was a lot, of course, you know about doubting Thomas, right? So there was a lot of doubt going around, and, and that's one of the things that kind of comes through. Um, and, and one of the things I think that it tells me is that just because you doubt it doesn't mean it's not true. So they all doubted it, but it was true. 
And I think that's kind of a story for the world today because a lot of people doubt Jesus and doubt who he is and what he did and what it means. And because of the doubt, they never move forward in a relationship with him. They never accept his grace and in faith receive the forgiveness and salvation that only he offers. And the fact of the matter is, just because they doubt it doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> just like for the people who doubted on resurrection morning. So this is a little, uh, just a little quick little story that kind of encapsulates this. I think we'll put a ribbon uh, around uh, our <clears throat> that we just finished the study uh, of the morning at the tomb, and uh, it's called Easter faith. Easter faith. It says Easter faith is a pretty faith. We dress up our Easter faith today. We put a new suit on it or a brightly colored bonnet. It is pretty and easy, perhaps too much so. The Easter faith of Jesus' disciples was not pretty or easy. Theirs was a faith of a bloody cross and a stoned-covered tomb. Theirs was a faith of sacrifice. Actually, during the early encounters on that first resurrection morning, the world... Uh, the word of the hour was not faith, but doubt. Consider all the doubt which surrounded that first Easter. Thomas doubted until he saw with his own two eyes. Peter refused to believe the women who returned from their early morning visit to the tomb, exclaiming Jesus had been raised. Mary Magdalene thought she was speaking to the gardener because it was just it just couldn't possibly be Jesus. And the two pilgrims who were walking on the road to Emmaus spent hours walking with Jesus but didn't recognize him in their own hour of doubt. Not only did these people doubt the actual event of the resurrection, but they also doubted the promises which Jesus had made to them beforehand. Promises about being raised to life on the third day. Promises of a reunion in Galilee. So many things were easier to believe. So many promises were more easily kept. The disciples were overwhelmed by the nature of those promises. They were impossible promises, incredible, inconceivable. As dawn broke on that first Easter Sunday, everything the disciples knew about life and death said that Jesus was not coming back. Eventually, the memories of Good Friday faded, replaced by the realities of Easter Sunday. By the end of the day, these same people rejoiced, not because of the nature of the promises, but because of the nature of the one who made the promises. Jesus has made impossible, incredible, inconceivable promises to us today as well. Sometimes our circumstances in life lead us to the same kind of doubt the disciples experienced. We doubt his promises because, like them, we lose sight of him. During our darkest days, when we see only a blood-stained cross and a stone-covered tomb in front of us, we can summon strength from our own Easter faith, a faith that believes Jesus promises not only when it is easy, but also when it is difficult, even when it requires sacrifice. Easter faith believes Easter promises. Easter promises bring life from death. As our lives become Easter lives, doubt disappears, replaced by a peace that passes understanding, and a certainty of eternity. So, I thought that was a good transition.
from what we've been studying to what we're going to study now, which is on the road to Emmaus. So get your Bible there to chapter 24 of um, Luke. And I think I'll read it through all the way first, just to set the context of what we're going to be talking about. And uh, then we'll come back and kind of look at it uh, you know, piece by piece. So verse 13 of chapter 24, it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor of Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if, as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So that is uh, a story. And here again, Luke, as we have talked about before, uh, wants to help us to see that what was happening on Resurrection Day was bigger than what we might otherwise think. That it wasn't just the 11. It wasn't just the women. It wasn't just in Jerusalem. And he uses over and over again in his uh, morning uh, account the word other, which we've talked about several times here before. And even here, if you notice, uh, where was it? Uh, he says... Yeah, in verse 33, he says, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them. Again, 
reiterating his fact, his, his point that it wasn't just the eleven; there were others there, and that now the story of what happened to Jesus is not just in Jerusalem, but these two are on the road to Emmaus. Why were they on the road to Emmaus? Well. You know, all that had happened that week had happened during Passover week, right? And they had to come to Jerusalem during Passover. So it's possible that these two who knew Jesus may have followed Jesus at some point uh, and maybe had, had, had even followed him around for months or years, we don't know. Uh, now that Passover was over and Jesus was dead, they were going back home. And so here Luke is telling us, even on Resurrection Day, uh, that the word of Jesus is spreading. And we think, you know, often in, in Acts, when at Pentecost, that the Spirit came and all those people were saved, uh, 3,000 of them during Peter's sermon, that this was where the spread of the gospel started. And that's true on a large scale, but even here, as early on as Resurrection morning, the word about Jesus is being taken to other places. So by, by those who knew him and believed in him. So this is all kind of fitting in with what Luke, this is one of the reasons I think why Luke gives us a story where no, no one, no, that none of the other uh, gospel writers give it to us because he wants us to know that big things are even this early on, big things are starting to happen and wheels are starting to turn. So let's look at what he's saying here. And he says, in verse 13, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So on that same day, what day is that? That's resurrection day, right? That's Sunday. That's the first day of the week. So what Luke is saying is, okay, on the same day that all that stuff happened at the tomb, on resurrection morning, that same day that these two were on the road to Emmaus. So what time of the day was that? Well, I don't know, but it was obviously later in the day, right? Uh, because when they get to Emmaus, it's near evening, which probably would have been near sundown, which we, we typically look at that just to make it easy to talk about, like around 6 o'clock. So, you know, this is happening sometime in the afternoon uh, of that day. And that same day, and uh, they they're going seven miles. It says about seven miles, and Emmaus is to the west of Jerusalem. So so they're almost going on a they're it's almost due west. So they're leaving Jerusalem, heading west seven uh, seven miles. Now, have you ever thought how long it would take you to walk seven miles? Would you even be able to walk seven miles, Jeff? You walk five miles? How long did you keep up? How long did two hours? So that's five miles for two two hours. So you'd have two more miles to go. Six ish. Six hours. Yeah, it took it took him five hours. It took him. Two hours, two hours, so three hours. Three hours. Two hours to walk five miles, so another hour would be three hours. Three hours to go about. Well, I remember um, one time in, 
I, you know, I was on my way to work one day and I had to stop and get gas. And, uh, this is obviously my younger days, uh, because I would never do anything this foolish now. Uh, I stopped to get gas and I don't know, I don't know what happened, but somehow when I got out of the car, I don't remember now, somehow the door got locked and bottom line was I shut my locked my keys in my car at the gas pump. And so Jan Okay, I'm not the only one. And now can't do it. Okay. So Jan was working and she wasn't at we lived in an apartment at the time and she was at her job. And so I had to walk all the way home. For some reason I was able to get in our apartment. I don't remember all the details, but I had to walk back to the apartment, get a key and walk back to the gas station. And I think it was about a mile or and a half or two miles, but I think it took me like three hours. I mean, it took me like forever. I'm like, it, I can't believe it's taking me so long to get this done. But uh, yeah, so walking seven miles, number one, isn't that easy and it takes some time. I actually looked it up and um, you can Google this thing and it says, if you walk an easy pace, for seven miles without stopping, you can do it in about two hours. But I think that's a pretty brisk pace myself. But but these two, they this wasn't a power walk, right? They were talking, they were discussing, they were they were having conversation. You can't hold a conversation if you're out of breath, right? If you're walking so fast. You're out of breath. You can't hold a conversation. So they're walking at a respectably leisurely pace uh, because they're they're talking back and forth. Uh, so this was not a power walk on the way there to Emmaus. Although I like to think on the way back from Emmaus after Jesus had appeared to them, they had they did have a they they did have a power walk. It was actually an empowered walk on their way back, but. There is kind of leisurely pace, I think. And when Jesus comes up to them, maybe even more so. So I'm thinking maybe three hours on the road, three hours of walking. For, and, and that's why am I bringing that up? Well, it may not be that big of a thing now, you know, thinking, well, seven miles, three hours, well, well. But think about it then. After Jesus appeared to them, they walked back another three hours Although, again, that might have been a, a more brisk walk because they're so excited about what just happened to them. But they're, they're walking three hours there about, and then, what, an hour or so later, they're walking another two and a half, three hours back. These guys, they, 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 got, a good, good, they got a good workout that day. That was normal. That was normal for them. Well, the thing is, this took some time to, this whole thing took some time to unwind, so... Which is also important, I think, because when it says that Jesus told them about himself and taught them, this is this didn't happen in a half an hour. You know, this well, whatever Jesus said to them, whatever he was teaching them, it took him some time to lay it all out for them, which says a couple of things to me. One is that he had a lot to say, and one of the reasons he had a lot to say and to teach is because there's a lot in the scriptures that talk about him being the Messiah. So he took some time during that two or three hour walk because there was a lot to talk about. There was a lot to learn.
Jeff, did you have your hand up? Yeah, just trying to clarify who the who the other was. There's Cleopas, Cleopas, Cleop, Cleopas, and we don't really know the name of the second one. Although for many, although I will say, I'll admit to something, and that is, for I, I read this passage a, a hundred times, and at the end where it says, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon, I thought, oh, well, that's the name of the other person who's walking. It's Cleopas and Simon. And when he said, he's appeared unto Simon, I'm thinking that's the guys who are talking, and they're talking about that Jesus appeared to them, and Simon was one of them. But that's not what it means. And we'll talk about what it does mean when we get there. But uh, so Cleopas, we know, we don't know what the name of the other one is. So, okay, so it says that um, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Uh, and then verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. So the idea of talking, it says twice, they were talking to each other, and they were talking, and they were discussing. So the word talking there, uh, what it means is uh, literally to throw, to throw back and forth. To throw back and forth. So it's it, you know when you have a discussion with someone, and it can especially if it's a deeper discussion about ideas or or things like you know spiritual things or might be political things or whatever, uh, and you're and you're discussing things back and forth. You're kind of throwing back and forth, right? The conversation. You're throwing your thing out, and then they throw their thing out, and then you throw your your idea out, and they throw their. And so the idea here of talking, they were talking was they, they were throwing ideas back and forth as they walked along. And, uh, and you get the idea, as you read further on there, uh, that they were talking about every... It says they were talking about everything uh, that had happened. And so how far back did they go when they talked about everything? Were they talking about during... Jesus' ministry? Were they talking about Jesus' miracles? Were they, they were, were they talking about what had happened during Holy Week with the triumphal entry and the, and the trial before Pilate? Were they talking about the crucifixion? Were they talking about what just happened? I don't know how far back they went. Probably they were focused mostly on what had happened the last three days, though, don't you think? The crucifixion, which was such a surprise to them that it happened. And then now, as we know, when they tell Jesus kind of what they're talking about, what had happened at the tomb that morning. So these are things they're talking about, throwing these ideas back and forth. Cheryl? Uh, no, the Bible. Mm -hmm. okay. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. But it said that... Uh, Someone somewhere said that the second person could It's possible. It's possible. We I, we we can't rule it out necessarily from what we have here. So and certainly, you know, the there were women certainly involved and following Jesus and a part of everything that was going on that day for sure. So um 
Then it says, talk and discuss. So, you know when you read in your Bible and it has something like that, that they talked and discussed, that there's a reason that they use a different word for what is the same thing, because that means in the original language, there's two different words used. So they don't just put, they talked about these things, but or they talked and they talked, but they talked and they discussed, because discussed is a different Greek word than talked. And in the Greek language, the word discuss means that they were examining it. They were investigating it. They were disputing it together. Uh, they were really trying to analyze what, what had, they were trying to understand it. They were trying to get their arms around it, trying to get their heads around it. And so they were talking back and forth, not just uh, leisurely, not just casually, but they were really digging into this and trying to examine it, trying to investigate it, trying to decide just what was going on. And uh, and trying to, in the process of talking together, trying to figure it out. You know, if you have a question about something or a problem about something or you're not, you're confused about something, are you the kind of, what, what, what might you do to try to get answers? I mean, do you just sit there and kind of just deal with it on your own or pray? That's a good one. Pray for understanding. Pray to be told. Pray to have clarity on something. Do research on it. Don't you also maybe find someone to talk to about it? You know, and maybe it's just a friend, maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a brother and sister, maybe it's a pastor. Uh, but I think a lot of times when you have that confusion, it helps to try to figure it out, to try to just flesh it out with someone. Just try to, let me run this past you. What do you think? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So my daughter, she's real involved in Crossroads Church, and she's involved with a young adult group, small group. And they're young, they're, they're, they're young in their faith and uh, as a group, although my daughter is a little <laughs> bit more mature in her faith. And uh, so they got together, and someone, whoever leads the group or whatever, decided they were going to listen to this podcast. And my daughter goes, Dad, I was listening to this podcast, and some of the things this guy was saying, I just don't, it didn't, I don't agree with it. It didn't set well with me. So we looked up who the guy was, and he ends up, he's some spiritualist, right, who, uh, whatever, he, he claims that, he wrote a book saying that Christ and Jesus were not one and the same. Okay. All right. So let's just start there, right? So I said to her, I said to her, I said to her, well, you're right, honey. <laughs> I haven't even know, I didn't, all I need to know about this guy is, is that. And um, so she goes, well, I just have to go to them and I just have to confront them. And it just so happened, right? God is a God of, he knows, he knows beforehand. And sometimes he gives you just what you need, and you don't even know it yet. So somehow I came across this book 
that talks about standing strong in your faith in a world where the culture is going the opposite direction. And it lists all these different things that are the humanistic, secular worldview and the biblical worldview and how they're not the same. And even though the the secular worldview sounds like it makes a lot of sense, sounds like it ought to be good, yet that's what Satan does. He is a liar and a manipulator and a counterfeiter. He makes it just, just enough like what the Bible says and just enough to make it sound right, just to let you buy into it, just enough to get you off track. And so this, this book does a great job. So I'm saying, no, this is why this is not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview says this. Has a lot of different categories for this. I said, I'm, I need to read that book. And so I think I got on Amazon or whatever. So it came in, and I happen to be reading another book right now. It's big and thick. And so my daughter was over a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, why don't you take this book and read it, and then give it back to me when you're done, because I'm not going to be able to finish this book for a while, and you can read it first. Okay, she took it with her. What so happens that this book, she had started reading it, gave her all this ammunition to talk to the young adult group about, so she goes the next week to the young adult group, and I prayed for her, and she prayed for guidance and the words to speak. And she got in front of the group, and she goes, guys, I have to tell you, this is not right. This guy's not right. Here's why, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and she, some of them actually listened to her and what she had to say. And uh, she's talked them in now that the next thing they're going to do is they're going to study that book together. Yay! So... God, I don't know. God gave me that book, knowing my daughter's going to need it. I didn't know it. She didn't know it. No one knew it. And that there it was. And so, and so, what Jan's talking about there is that my daughter called me because th- this was bothering her, and she wasn't comfortable with it, and she wasn't sure. She was confused, and you know, some of the people in the group were buying into it, and so she called me to kind of flush it out with me. Dad, what do you think? And so that's that's what we do, right? That's what we do. And so that's what I think these guys were doing. Talking to someone else about it is great, but we don't speak godly. True. True. But the fact that she recognized it, that tells on something. Yeah, yeah. And that's what the Bible says to do. Examine these ideas in to the scripture, and if it doesn't match up, then you know it's not. God. You know who always talked? They sounded spiritual, and they just weren't at all, and that's Oprah. She always talked about being religious yeah. and yeah. spiritual, and, yeah. but it was all humanism. It was all secular humanism, and it was not. Well, spirit. Uh, spirituality and, and the way the New Age people define it is spirituality where you look within yourself for answers. But that's not the spirituality of the Bible where you look outside of yourself to God for the answers. So spirituality of the New Agers is, well, look within yourself, and the answer is in the universe. And you and you have within yourself the power with the help of a crystal or a rock or a chant or a whatever, and the universe will give you your answers. No, that's not biblical spirituality. Biblical spirituality is from the Bible and from God and from Christ living within you and the Holy Spirit. That's where we get the answers from. So, uh, yeah. So 
the only thing I would say is, you know, if we're not talking about spiritual matters, so for example, if you're having confusion and you're not sure about like a medical thing or something, you may want to call up someone who has some expertise in medical things. Uh, but certainly if it's a spiritual matter, yes, you want to talk to someone who's well-grounded spiritually and who you can trust and, and who's biblically grounded. So yeah, but it helps to talk to someone. That's the point, right? And uh, on the other hand too, I mean, there's something... It's hard to do. It's hard to imagine in this day and age, with the way the world is today, that you can have a dispute with someone and actually grow from it, and actually learn from it, and actually take away from that, still being on good terms with the other person. You know that. You can, they can state their case and you can state your case and you can kind of butt heads. But in the end, that interaction helped you to fine tune what you believe because you had to give a defense of your belief and, you know, maybe helped you see what some of the arguments are from the other side that helped you also to learn more. And even though you may not convince the other person of your point or vice versa, when the discussion and uh, the, uh, you know, the, I don't call it an argument, but when the dispute, let's say, is over, you shake hands and walk away friends. And you, and you can actually look forward to that kind of conversation because it kind of helps you to find that anchor in your own belief that, that's stronger than before. So you walk away from it feeling like you've, grown. And uh, I never will forget when I was growing up as a kid in my grandparents' uh, house, we would often have dinners at their home and uh, they had a big dining room table and it was always filled with family. And uh, so we'd get together for a big dinner and all the adults would be sitting. I was youngish at the time. I was old enough to understand what was going on, but I was I was probably a teenager. And uh, they'd get together in these dinners, and we'd have a nice little dinner, we'd eat, and every single time when dinner was over, they would have a conversation, the adults. And it was almost like, okay, and this, it, it was like, I, I, it got to the point where like, I waited with anticipation to hear, what are they going to argue about this week? Because you know? <laughs> it happened every single time. And so whatever it was, I, and I don't even remember all the topics, but whatever, it wasn't spiritual matters, I'll tell you that my family was not spiritual like that. But whatever that topic was, you know, there were uncles and disagreed with my grandfather who disagreed with some other aunt or uncle or cousin, and we spent an hour or more around that dining room table, and they would have these discussions that were just, and I would sit there enraptured just to hear what they were talking, I mean, that was after it was over, they would still love each other. They still went their opposite ways. And they were they were family and they were friends and, and they loved. But I loved hearing that interaction, that discussion, that dispute. Uh, and when I eventually got old enough to actually contribute a little bit, that people would actually listen to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, it kind of made me nervous. Like, they're, they're quiet. They're actually listening to what I'm saying. And, uh, but then sometimes I got to contribute too. And it just, it was, it was fun and it was, it helped me to grow. And, and so sometimes 
those things are actually beneficial to you in, in more ways than once, so in ways you don't even always. It's like they're possible to do. Why can't we just agree to disagree anymore? You can't do that because if you disagree with me, you're an idiot. You're evil. Yeah, that's even more truth to truth, isn't it? So, right, exactly, right, exactly. Uh, okay. Well, my point's been made. Okay, so they talked and they discussed these things with each other, and then Jesus Himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing Him. So we've dealt with this before. Why? We talked about why Mary didn't recognize Jesus at the tomb. So why don't these two recognize Jesus? Because they were kept from it. So it wasn't yeah. their choice. In other words, did Jesus keep them from recognizing You get that idea, don't you? They were kept from recognizing him. Cheryl, you know what I'm saying? They're facing forward, talking, walking, that can be part of it. And, like, and I, they're not really face to face. And I do think Jesus looked different than we yeah, saw. You know, like, you know, like I said, I think we looked different as His glorified body looked different than his human body in some way. Uh, I, I talked about William Barclay last week being an old curmudgeon. And one of the reasons I loved William Barclay's uh, commentaries, but William Barclay, everything that's miraculous in Scripture, he tries to explain in ways that either kind of take the miracle away or change the miracle in some way to make it, to me, like a little less miraculous, which is okay because, again, as we just talked, I, I don't mind hearing someone else's point. I think I've mentioned this before. For example, William Barclay, uh, he, when Jesus fed the 5,000 with, what, a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread from this boy, uh, Barclay says, well, the miracle wasn't that Jesus created more bread and more fish from these, like he created them to hand out to the 5,000. That wasn't the miracle. The miracle was that all the other people there uh, had food that they had brought too, but they were like keeping it just to themselves. And when the little boy was so generous to offer his little bit of food to Jesus to share that it touched all the other people's hearts in such a way that they also then decided to share what they had brought. And so they had one big potluck uh, that, that, that came about because of the, the generosity of this little child touched all of them. And so the miracle was in them being, being touched in such a way that they were willing to share what they had. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not what happened. <laughs> And so he does this over. So what William Barclay says about them not seeing Jesus in his commentary is that what direction were they were they walking? West. And what time of day was it? And kind of what maybe the sun was doing? And the sun was in their eyes. So, so his point is they didn't recognize Jesus because this like like we say, well, maybe Jesus did maybe Mary Magdalene didn't recognize, didn't recognize Jesus at the tomb because she was crying. And she had tears in her eyes. Well, maybe these two didn't recognize Jesus because the sun was in their eyes. <laughs> That's his point. But I think, and they, they were kept from seeing him because they were kept from seeing by the sun, the sunlight. So I happen to think along with you that um, somehow they were kept from recognizing 
Jesus at that moment. And uh, so it was some supernatural thing. It could be because he wanted to talk to them. And if they knew he who he was, they would just be, they couldn't listen. You know, they'd be like, so, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, you know, I can't. So maybe he didn't want them to recognize him at that point. So he could talk to him like just another man. You know, just so. Yeah, and that's a really great point because you see later on when they did recognize him, they got so excited, they jumped up and they ran back. And I'm sure on the on the way back, they were probably talking to one another. They're so excited. Oh my God, can't wait. We get back. We're gonna tell them. Can you believe it? Yeah. Oh my God. We're gonna well, just wait till just wait till Peter hears this. You know, blah blah blah. And they're and and I'm sure that you're right. If Jesus had had revealed himself to them at that point, they'd have gotten no farther along. Uh, he wouldn't have heard what their statement was and how they they were impacted. But more importantly, they wouldn't have been able to hear what his teaching was. And I think the implication of that then is that why did Jesus feel it necessary to teach them what he taught them on the way? Apparently they had not really picked up on the previous scripture that what did they hear the first part, basically. That he was the Messiah, right? He knew the Messiah was going to happen. You know, it was just another teaching lesson for him. Right. Other reasons? Well, they were going to a place, you know, where lots of other people were, and maybe he wanted them to facilitate the message for him there. Right. So he was teaching them with the idea that they were then to take what he taught them to teach others, right? And the same thing can be applied right to us, right? Is that these guys are having a personal, these are these guys are having a personal experience with Jesus. And what are they going to do with it? They're going to take it and they're going to tell others about this personal experience they had with Jesus. And that's what we do too. We have a personal experience with Jesus, and we are to go and have that share that personal experience with others. But he taught them, he taught them something. He went, he did something even more so with them. He taught them about himself from Old Testament scriptures. And I think part of the reason was what Doris said. Uh, part of it was because he wanted them to... Because at this point, when they first meet him, they don't believe in the resurrection, do they? They don't believe he's alive. They think he's still dead. They've had the women. They've had the men. They've had <laughs> all of this stuff. And yet they're still not believing it. And so when he so another reason that he's teaching them is because he he wants them to believe. He wants them to believe. So he teaches them about, hey, don't be so surprised this stuff had to happen. It had to happen. So to give them the information, the insight, to help them to believe, and then to help them too to have the because they're going to face when they when they start going out among the general population, they're going to have the same problem uh, that other people are going to have the same problem they had, and that is that we just can't believe it. We can't believe it. And they're going to be able to say, you know what, let me show you why this had to happen, because this is what Jesus told me, and then they can teach others. So one of the reasons Jesus didn't just appear to them and say, here I am, like he did to Mary and the other women, is because he specifically wanted to do something. He wanted to teach them something that, not that they could take their ball and go home, 
and keep it to themselves. He wanted to teach them this so they could teach others. So, And that's why we come to church, we come to Sunday school, so we can learn some things. So when we get out, like my daughter did, and something doesn't sound right or people are confused and don't understand, then you have some biblical foundation that you've learned that you can teach others. So, yes, Ruth. That wholeheartedly. And one that said, um, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So maybe they had the wrong idea of how he was going to redeem Israel. And so he wanted to him because he has spent all that time listening to them talk to see what their experience was so how he could talk you know, what you needed to tell them. But I would give anything to them that part of that conversation yeah. on the way to the mass because and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, mm-hmm. he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning mm-hmm. this stuff. Wouldn't you have loved that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> and nobody wrote it down. <laughs> What's wrong with those people? <laughs> Do you think Jesus is going to teach us in heaven? I would like to be in that class. I want to be in that class, right? I want to be. I do want to be on the front row of that one. Um, I think he will. You know, we're just going to have more things to learn. We're not. We're not going to go to heaven knowing at all, are we? So we're going to need to still learn in heaven because learning is is a joy, don't you think? And they say later, our hearts burned within us. Yeah, you know, when I learn something new, anything new, but especially when I learn something new about God's Word or spiritually, uh, my heart burns within me. It's so exciting to learn something. I was the same way in school when I learned something new in school. I'm like, especially I was an English major, especially when it was like English class, we'd be learning things about authors and books and things. And I'd learn, and oh, that is so cool. I love learning. I just learned something today. It's so exciting. So anyway, okay, that's all we have time for. That concludes this episode of Where's God?, Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms, you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.